HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Square. If you run a restaurant or business, Square has the tools to help you stay connected to customers, shift your business, and navigate this uniquely challenging time. Learn more at square.com slash go slash farm report. Hello, this is Lisa Held, and you're listening to The Farm Report, a Heritage Radio Network show about the people, processes, and policies that shape how food is produced today. During this summer 2020 season of the show, I'm focusing on how farms and food businesses are having to pivot and adjust to feed their communities during COVID-19. My guest today is Rob Levitt, a renowned butcher who created Chicago's Butcher and Larder and is now head butcher at Publican Quality Meats. Rob, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me. So I'm excited to talk to you about what's happening in Chicago and, and on the farms you work with that are nearby. Um, but I want to provide a little bit of background for our conversation first. Um, it, it's it's great that you're you're with me because... I feel like all I've been talking about lately is meat, which is probably <laughs> normal for you, right? Yep. <laughs> um, but, you know, on this show, we have conversations about the food system regularly, but COVID-19 has created a situation where those conversations are suddenly happening everywhere across all media. And the biggest one is is about meat. And, you know, I think that's because workers at meatpacking plants have been hit extremely hard by COVID-19. Um, plants have been shut down, farmers have had to euthanize and dispose of animals because they have nowhere to send them, and in some places there's been less meat on grocery store shelves. And the connections between all those things are complex, and we could do an entire show on each point, but that's not what we're going to do today. Um, Instead, I reported a story that was published on Civil Eats last week that got a lot of traction, and It was essentially about this entirely different meat production and processing system that exists in the U.S. that is really totally separate from industrial meat packers. So regenerative ranchers and pastured pork producers and the small slaughterhouses that serve them, those pretty much have not shut down. And in fact, they're busier than ever. They've been producing and selling more due to slowdowns in the larger meat system. 
And it's, I mean, there's a lot to, to kind of pick apart here because that large system normally threatens their existence because of its ability to produce a staggering amount of extremely cheap meat quickly. So we're going to kind of get into all of that via your personal story. Um, so Rob, have you always worked in this kind of other meat space with small farmers selling directly into local markets? Uh, for the better part of my career, I have. Um, I was lucky enough uh, as a young sous chef to work for chefs who bought produce and meat from small family farms. Um, and, and I kind of got the taste for it then. And um, in 2008, my wife, Allie, and I opened a restaurant and um, we decided to dedicate our entire menu and everything we did to working with small family farmers. So, you know, I would say 90 to 95% of our menu was from local producers all year round, um, which was difficult in Chicago. But yeah. specifically, we started buying um, whole animals, uh, pigs, lamb, chickens, ducks, rabbits, that kind of thing. And then with like beef, which is just too big for us to 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 manage, we would ask the farmers what beef cuts they had that they had couldn't sell. And um, so we started getting things like beef hearts and beef livers and beef tongues and you know, a lot of offcuts that were a lot less common. And we sort of had a reputation for working with small farms and, and doing some um, less common things. Um, and then that sort of evolved into my first butcher shop where we did everything whole animal and made all, all our own sausages and pâtés and charcuterie and that kind of stuff. Um, and that has since carried through to what I'm doing now at Publican. Right. And when you say you decided... Like you made a decision, we're going to buy, you know, these whole animals only from local small farms. What what was behind that decision? Why? Um, I think, you know, I think we my wife and I at the time had uh, some I think we just had a felt a sense of responsibility. Like if we're going to if we're going to cook for a living, uh, you know, which is kind of a in a sense a, a, a privileged thing to do, um, we wanted to use really, really great product and treat it simply and make good, simple, rustic food that would make people feel good. Um, but on the other side of that, we felt a responsibility to the people raising it. So, you know, we wanted to buy what was in season. We wanted to cook what was in season. So for produce, that was fairly easy. You know, you go to the markets, you make friends with farmers and you get, they tell you what they're excited about and you buy it and you cook it. And, you know, if we had asparagus on our menu in the springtime on four different dishes we didn't care because it was at its very best uh with meat we decided that you know these farmers raise whole animals and while it's great to buy from a small sustainable farmer if you only want a pork chop or you only want you know a specific cut that's not sustainable um and buying a whole animal is and the other side of that that we learned along the way is that when you develop these relationships with with farmers is that sometimes buying a whole animal isn't the most sustainable. Sometimes they would call me and say, I have a freezer full of raw, fresh hams that I have nothing to do with. If you can use mm. them, if you can help me move them, then we'll give you a good deal. And then that kind of took the sustainability thing a, a little bit further, and we were able to help the farmers out in that regard. Um, but for the most part, we were butchering animals and doing everything ourselves, and we were being as, as seasonal and as local as we could the whole year round. Yeah. And you said it's, it was difficult. What, what are the biggest challenges to working with farms this way? Um, really, it's just like as far as meat goes, you know, that's not that big a deal. Um, 
you know, I can these days I can find pretty much anything I need um, from from good farms that I'm happy to work with all year round. It, you know, produce wise, in the middle of February in Chicago, there isn't a lot going on. You know, there's only so yeah. much you want to do with beets and carrots and you know overwintered turnips and that kind of stuff. Um, so it gets those those sort of that first quarter of the year before you hit spring, it gets really tedious to. Bleak. To get creative and have fun menu items, but we made the most of it. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of normal life, right? Like what you were doing um, yeah. day the to good day old days. before. Right. <laughs> um, so, you know, fast forward to this, this reordered world we're living in. Um, what happened at Public Inn when restaurants were first ordered to shut down? Um, so when we, for, so when this whole thing first started, you know, we did like everybody else, we, we pared back our staff and we sort of revised what we were offering and the hours that we were open. And um, we did our very best to do things safely, um, limiting the number of people that could come into the store and shop the butcher counter and, um, you know, like trying to, trying to do curbside before that was like sort of the mandate. Um, and it, it was very difficult. We have a small store and we had a surge of people who wanted to buy meat. Um, so keeping, keeping the, the social distancing was, was very difficult. And we uh-huh. did two really hard weeks of cranking out as much food and getting as much meat packaged as we could. We even sort of, scrambled to put together a, an online butcher shop where people could order their stuff ahead of time online and then we could pack it up and have it ready for them. Um, and they would just come and pick it up. And we, we did our very best and we were constantly making changes, you know, on a dime. And um, after a while, the the partners, you know, Paul and Donnie and, and Terry and you know, the, the people who founded one-off hospitality decided that the safest thing for the employees and for the for our customers was to just close down for a while and and let everybody stay home and let everybody feel safe um and then one you know once you know the sort of the um some of the the higher up people in the company kept working on trying to put together a plan for how to bring pqm back and some of the other properties back in a way that was uh organized and safe and you know, sort of good for everybody, especially our community. You know, we have a lot of great regular customers here, and people were just itching to get us back, which is a great feeling. Um, but, but, and that's what we did: is we kind of steadily took our time and laid out what we wanted to do and how we wanted to do it. And, um, and now, now we're strictly 100% online ordering. Um, we have a digital mm-hmm. butcher shop that you can access through our website. All the different properties, or almost all the different properties, now have these uh, digital. Uh, marketplaces where you can you can get food or you can get different products and um, you know people put in their butcher orders just as though they were shopping and it's a little bit limited because we have to put together a menu of items that we know we'll have Um, but people can shop online they can order a sandwich they can order you know whatever they want they can come pick it all up they pay ahead they pay through the service and then we bring stuff out to their cars right um how has it been operating with this new system in place? Like, have have there been challenges that have come up that you didn't anticipate? 
There's challenges every day. I mean, it's like opening yeah. a new business. Um, yeah. You know, it's like in a sense, it's all the same product and it's all the same farms and it's all the same recipes, but it's a completely different way of working and thinking. And we still have to be agile enough to change on a dime. Like we can't decide we have a great idea for something and then take our time and plan it. It's like, all right, if we're going to do this thing, then we need to get photos and we need to get content and we need to get it up online and we need to get up on social and we need to make sure we have all the stuff prepared for it and have it all packaged. And, you know, like all these little things have to be ready in a snap so that we can launch things and, and capture it as soon as the moment strikes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, we need to take a quick break. Um, okay. After this quick word from a sponsor, we'll be right back to talk more with Rob Lovett. This episode is brought to you by Square. We all know that this is an incredibly challenging time for our friends running restaurants and small food businesses. With social distancing in place, people are staying home and eating in, and restaurants have had to pivot to pickup and delivery only. HRN would usually be recording our podcast from our studio inside Roberta's, but since they've had to close their dining room, they've ramped up their frozen pizza production, set up a wine and grocery shop, and seen their delivery orders skyrocket. Like Roberta's, many restaurants have been changing offerings day by day as they figure out how to best serve their customers. If you run a restaurant or small business, Square has the tools to help you adapt. One of these tools is the Square online store. It lets you set up a free online ordering page with curbside pickup and local delivery so you can keep customers safe. You can deliver orders yourself or integrate with delivery partners. Its order hub lets you manage all your incoming orders in one place, no matter which delivery partners you choose to use. Square has all the tools to help you stay connected to customers no matter where they are. See everything that's available by visiting square.com slash go slash farm report. All right, we're back. This is Lisa Held. You're listening to The Farm Report on Heritage Radio Network. I'm here with Rob Levitt, the head butcher at Public and Quality Meats in Chicago. And we were just talking about how you've had to change a lot of the way your business operates um, to adjust to COVID-19's new demands. Um, You mentioned that right when things changed, you had a big uptick in in demand. And, you know, I've been talking to other small meat companies around the country and everyone seems to be seeing this sort of incredible surge in demand. Has that continued for you and how much how much of an increase has it been? Uh, Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely continued. I think we're. We're starting to stabilize a little bit now um, where we can kind of slowly but surely predict a little bit of what we're going to need every week. I think that before we closed down, it felt very panicked. It felt like people, there was a large percentage of people were shopping and they were clearly stocking up, especially on Mm -hmm. bread. I mean, we have this amazing award-winning bread and, um, you know, we would get you know, four or five different varieties and there was, you know, 150 loaves of bread on the shelves and they'd be gone in two hours. 
and people gosh. were just yeah people were just buying bread and freezing them um people were stocking up on everything i mean there were some people who would come in and buy eight ribeyes which blows my mind um but then <laughs> but uh, you know most people would get like four whole chickens and you know six pounds of ground beef and it was like clearly they were stocking up on you know on stuff that they could pull out a little bit at a time and make their sort of everyday stuff um yeah now we're seeing less of that we're seeing plenty of people who are shopping uh normal quantities they're just doing it every week which is great you know i see as we see the tickets come up we're seeing a lot of the same names and a lot of them are our regular customers but a lot of them are new and we're just seeing these these names pop up and it's that this week they're getting a chicken and a four pack of burgers and a you know a couple four packs of sausages and uh some some bacon and a loaf of bread you know and a, a dozen eggs and it's like a mm-hmm. normal order but they're getting it every week and we still have right. people who are you know they're sort of treating themselves to these specialty things um which is great it's like on fridays we see a lot more of the high-end stuff selling and i think because people can't go out a lot of people i mean i'm sure you've encountered this too but like a lot of people are cooking more at home so i think people are are making themselves fancy dinners at home and it's it's been great for us do you do you think that that is where some of those new customers are coming from like maybe they were people who just were going out to eat before and are now being sort of forced to cook at home or do you think people are making different decisions about um the kind of meat they're buying or are coming to you because they can't find commodity meat like what what do you think where who do you think those new people are i mean i think it's a, a mix of all of those things i think mm-hmm. that um there's a lot of there's a lot of news about commodity meat and what's going on with this with this pandemic and how it's affecting commodity meat and i think people are just more aware of what goes on in these in these commodity meat situations and they see the lack of product in the in the supermarkets but they're also a little more informed now because they're 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 reading they see it on social media or wherever they see it that you know maybe that commodity system isn't so great and you do a quick google search in chicago for butcher shops and public and quality meats is usually somewhere at the top fortunately yeah um and so we have people who are checking us out for the first time and you know we try and we try i have tried since i've been here to um expand the offerings so that we have plenty of really cool esoteric food nerdy high-end stuff but we also have the basic things that people want for every day you know like mm. you can get a two-pack of chicken breasts or a four-pack of chicken thighs you can get all kinds of ground meats there's always tons of sausages um and even little things like we make amazing bread and butter pickles and we'll sell you a pint of pickles to go with whatever it is you're eating and you know stuff like that i think people gravitate towards because it's it's easy and it's fun and it's comfortable and it's it's not outrageously expensive. Um, so I right. think it's, I think it's a variety. We have everyone from our regulars to our weekend shoppers, to our new customers who are looking for a more, uh, trustworthy source for whatever it is they want to buy. Yeah. And what about the farms that you're working with? So I, I mean, what I've been seeing is it, it seems like a mix in, in that some small farms are busier than they've ever been and are selling mm-hmm. every last thing they can produce. Well, you know, others that 
maybe I would I would imagine some of the farms you work with are selling a lot to restaurants normally, and a lot of those yeah. restaurants are not operating. So what are what what are you getting from the farms you work with in terms of a sense of how they're doing? Um, um, I mean, it's it's exactly your 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 last point is that a lot of our farms are so used to having a uh, big volume of their business go to restaurants, and you know more and more restaurants are are closing down. Um, hopefully, just temporarily. Uh, they are they have right. they have the animals and they have the facility to uh, to produce a lot of good meat, and they just don't have the customer base that they did. So it works out great for me because I don't feel like I have my supply is slowing down. I feel like I can get pretty much anything I want. And I actually, we're lucky that one of our farmers also does all his own processing. So mm. I don't have to worry about that end of the, the supply chain breaking down either. Um, and it's, it's small. I mean, it's, 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 it's large for a small family farm, but it, it's way smaller than a commodity meat plant. And, um, yeah. you know, we, we talk, it's like, like, that's the biggest thing is that I talk to all of my farmers. I don't talk to a salesman or a representative. I talk to the actual farmers and they'll tell me, you know, like we've, you know, we, we call meetings every week and we talk to our staff and we make sure people are wearing masks and gloves and there's hand washing and they're sanitizing. And they, they assure me that there's protocol in place to, to deal with this so that their employees stay safe. Um, but then, you know, when I ask them to help us out um, in terms of maybe processing things a little bit more than I would have in the past because of my staffing constraints, uh, you know, they're willing to work with me. And it, it all comes down to the fact that these guys have been our partners going back years and years and years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, the so you mentioned the one mm-hmm. uh, farm you work with has a processing facility. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's that's another big challenge for small farms um, around the country is access to slaughter. Um, is that... Is that an issue for for any of the farmers in your region um, on a reg- like in normal times and now? Like, is there enough processing generally? No, I mean, there's never enough processing, and this pandemic yeah. has nothing to do with that. I mean, there's like the small processors that are willing to work with small family farms. You know, like a farmer that wants to bring in three pigs a week or even ten pigs a week. Like, the small processors are dwindling. And it's difficult. Right. I mean, there's we we're lucky in the Midwest that the Midwest is known for meat production. So there are still, uh, you know, a, a handful of processors around that that will work with this. But other parts of the country are having a really a really hard time. Um, I the, you know I have this one farmer that I've been working with for a really long time who does his own, and there's another farmer that I work with on and off in Indiana who does his own processing. But otherwise, a lot of these farms that I work for, I mean, I years ago, I had a farmer who figured out the hard way that a processor was selling their beef on the commodity market because it was grading out higher than the commodity stuff. And then huh. when it was time for them to, when it was time for the trucking company to pack up the meat that was supposed to come to me, like I was getting this commodity stuff that I knew wasn't from the farm that I was working with. Wow. You know, and it's like shady stuff like that will happen. Um, fortunately it only ever happened once and they, you know, this farm, we helped them find a different processor and it turned out to be a much better situation anyway, but, um, there's only a handful. So now, I mean, they're, they're busier than ever, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, 
I think in some places, the smaller slaughterhouses are seeing animals from the commodity system that like can't, you know, there's sort of these excess animals that are getting mm-hmm. moved around the country because um, the commodity plants are, are slowed down so much. And so now they're potentially busier than ever when they were, there already weren't enough of them, right? Yeah. Um, so it's, it's kind of a, a crazy moment. Um, at least, but like you said, you know, it's a moment where, um, nobody ever talked about, I, I was the only one talking about slaughterhouse access <laughs> for sure. a long time. Yeah. And now like, that's a topic that people are concerned about. And so yeah. there's definitely more awareness, you know? Um, yeah, so do I mean, you it's... think, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was, gonna, I was just going to say like, if, you know, I think we're all looking constantly looking for silver linings to this whole thing and if one of them is that people are more aware of how the food system works um you know it it just brings more awareness to people and it helps inform the decisions they make and hopefully it lasts a lot longer than this pandemic yeah do you think that this moment in time will change meat consumption or change anything about the system that we have in the u.s um, I think it will change some people's opinions and some people's habits. Whether or not it moves the needle drastically, I'm skeptical because I feel like once the country is back to some sense of normalcy, the you know the the powerhouse that controls the commodity meat um, system will do everything they can to sort of reclaim their their place, um, especially when it comes to to the government. Um, you know that's a that's a whole that's a whole thing, a whole topic for another show. <laughs> um, yeah. But I, you know, my hope is that we'll start to see uh, an uptick in people who are, have been made aware of, of how commodity farming works and, and want to choose to spend their money with people doing it in a more sustainable way. Um, and, you know, I, I hope it also means that people realize that when they, when they spend money on meat, it's not just on, uh, you know what they're going to have for dinner it's it's they're supporting you know like when you when you shop at my store you're supporting me and my small staff and these farmers and that's where the money mm-hmm. goes it's not going to this giant corporation um you know people are being made more aware of how people in these giant meat factories are being treated and, and like there's a reason why the outbreaks are so enormous and it's because of poor working conditions so, you know, you go to the supermarket and you buy a piece of commodity meat on a styrofoam tray, your money is going to support the, you know, these, these people who don't care about the people working for them. Right. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see what happens in the future. It's a really interesting moment. Just so much, so much uncertainty and, um, we'll see. Yeah. Um, yeah. Rob, thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thank you all so much for listening to The Farm Report on Heritage Radio Network. If you enjoyed the conversation, please subscribe to the podcast, rate it, and share it. I'll see you next week. The Farm Report is powered by Simplecast. 
Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Just enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.